Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Brothers and sisters, on this second Sunday of Lent, we are in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 through 32. Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the second Sunday of Lent. This is our 40-day season of fasting and prayer and repentance as we set our eyes once more on the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ and on his resurrection on Easter. This year for Lent, we are reading through the Gospel of Luke, and in particular, the stories of Jesus eating with people. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was always eating. He was always going to dinner or coming from dinner with other people. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, communicates the grace of God to people through bread and wine. And when he ate with people, it was not usually the popular, important people that Jesus was sitting with, right? It was usually the unpopular people. It was usually the people of least importance, so we think. It was usually outcasts and sinners. And Jesus earned quite a reputation for this just a couple chapters later from what we just read. Jesus puts it himself in Luke 7, very bluntly. Jesus said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what people said about Jesus. This is what they thought of him because of who he ate with, because of the company that he kept. It was offensive. Jesus was promiscuous with whom he ate because he would eat with anyone and everyone. And so I want to take a closer look at this story and try to uncover, friends, why this is such a big deal. Because if you just read it at first, you might say, well, that's a nice story of Jesus hanging out with people. But there's something really deep going on in this, and I I need you to get it to really appreciate the power of this story. So let's start with verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. So the invitation is startlingly brief, right? It's two words. Follow me. There's no talk of creeds. There's no talk of covenants. Jesus does not say, Levi, accept me into your heart, right? Now, I hear Christian people say that all the time, but Jesus does not say that in the Gospel of Luke. He says, follow me. Follow me. The invitation is not primarily to a belief, friends. The invitation primarily is to faith and to action and to a relationship. Jesus is inviting Levi into a relationship with himself. Come, be with me, follow me, do what I do. You live the way I live. You love who I love. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Verse 28, the story says, And Levi got up, 
left everything and followed him. There was apparently no hesitation, and I think this makes us a little uncomfortable because we like to believe that Levi surely knew something of Jesus and had rationalized it in his head before the call came, but there's no such explanation, friends. The story says Jesus invited and Levi went for it. Now that's not rational, is it? Because faith isn't always rational. Faith is faith. Faith is trust. We're, Levi's trusting in the Lord. And apparently for him it was worth it because look what he left behind. Everything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine leaving behind everything? Think about what Levi left behind. Okay, he left behind his tax booth, his job, his livelihood, his material things, right? How about other emotional and spiritual things that he left behind? Attitudes and ways of thinking. He left behind uh, comfortable places and familiar routines. He left behind everything. He exchanged everything, and in return, Jesus gave him something new. Jesus gave him a new family called the church. Jesus gave him a new livelihood called discipleship. Jesus gave him a new way of thinking called the kingdom of God. And so make no mistake, friends, when Jesus calls you and you accept, you agree to leave behind something significant. That's the way it works. Now, you don't have to travel halfway around the world with your Jesus sandals and your walking stick and just be a pilgrim your whole life. You can follow Jesus right where you are today, right in your home and in your neighborhood and in your place of work and in your relationships. You don't have to necessarily go anywhere. Now, if Jesus calls you, you should go. But you can be right where you are, but you have to let go of some things that you have held dear. Your habits, thoughts, attitudes, your desire to please yourself. All these things, Jesus will invite you to trade them in and in exchange to have one thing instead, only one thing, and that's Jesus, to trade in everything else for Jesus. That's what Levi did, and that's what you're invited to do. And I'm telling you this, friends, it'll be the hardest decision you ever make. It'll be the best decision you ever make. The hardest and most beautiful thing that we will ever do is to follow Jesus Christ. Verse 29 says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi had a party. Why do you suppose he had a party? Well, maybe he wanted to introduce all his tax collector buddies to his new friend, Jesus. His life is already being transformed, and he wants to share it with other people. Come and, and taste what I've tasted. Come and see what I have seen. But not everybody thought this was so great. Levi thought it was great. His friends thought it was great. Not everybody did. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, you see what this is, friends? This is not just a curiosity like, hmm, isn't this interesting? This is not just a modest protest. The religious leaders were incensed. They were outraged. They were appalled. They could not believe that this rabbi who is supposedly the Messiah, would eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Doesn't he know that righteousness comes from keeping your distance from people like that? And yet here Jesus is coming close to people like that. And not only just being together, but at a party, a celebration? Are you kidding me? And then the story ends the same way that it began with Jesus calling sinners to repentance. Luke 5, 31 to 32, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Get your head around that for a second, friends. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. If you're already righteous, you don't need him, right? Only sinners need a Savior. And so Jesus came to call sinners. Only the sick need a doctor. And so Jesus has called sinners to repentance, and he has called sinners to himself. What an incredible story of the grace of God. Uh, But what really unlocks the power of the story, friends, is the context. And I wonder if you know the context of this story. If you've ever studied anything about the time and the place in which Jesus lived and walked the earth. You know, without the context, it's a lovely story of the invitation of Jesus and the response of Levi and a few self-righteous religious leaders who don't get it. But if you get the context, you get there's something much deeper, something much more happening in this story. Okay, so let's think about this together. Every society has their unspoken and unwritten rules, right? Every culture, every group, every family has unspoken and unwritten norms and expectations. There are strengths and weaknesses. There are highs and lows. There are in-groups and out-groups, right? Every society, in-groups and out-groups. Well, first century Palestine was no different. And one of the in-groups in first century Palestine were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the keepers of the law. They lived out their devotion to God through the study of and the observance of and the enforcement of the law, which we call the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize those texts, and then they would live by those texts, and they would enforce and insist that everyone else lived by those laws. Their job was to maintain purity in the temple, to maintain purity in the community. They took the law very, very seriously. This was not just a speed limit or an anti-shoplifting statute. This was a way of life, and it governed how they talked and how they walked and how they washed their hands. It governed what they ate and when they ate and with whom they ate. Friends, On the other hand, we have the tax collectors. They were the out-group. So if the Pharisees are the in-group, then the tax collectors are the out-group. They are the outside folks. Now, most of us, we have some sense of this because we don't love tax collectors, right? What's your opinion of the IRS? Not your favorite, right? But what I need you to do is take all the the loathing and and the disgust that the average American feels for the IRS and multiply it by a 1,000. And then imagine that your own personal IRS agent lives down the street from you and that every so often he comes knocking on your door and demands that you pay him and you have to pay him. You don't really have a choice. And so the Jewish people hated the tax collectors. So here's how it worked. Tax collectors were not what we think of as government employees where they would collect a specified amount specified by the government and then receive a modest wage in order for doing their work, right? That's what IRS agents do. Tax collectors in the day of Jesus were more like contractors. So if you think our system of government is bad, just get a load of this, friends. The tax collectors would pay a fee, a monthly fee, to the emperor, to the empire. And in exchange for that monthly fee, now they had rule and reign over a particular geographical area to collect as much tax as they could or as they wanted to. So let's say you're the tax person for Timberlake Road, okay? So Timberlake Road's your territory. You pay your fee to the emperor. Nobody else is allowed to collect taxes along Timberlake Road, only you. 
Only you. And so long as you have paid your fee to the empire, you can collect as much as you want from anyone you want. So not only are you going to collect the minimum amount so you make sure that your fees are paid, you're going to collect some extra and some extra and some extra. And let's say someone, one of your neighbors says, well, I'm not paying you. You say, well, no problem. You send a couple Roman soldiers down to their house to help persuade them to pay you. Are you starting to see how the tax collectors were regarded, friends? They were hated. They were hated. The system was so very corrupt. The tax collectors were literally thieves. They were stealing from their neighbors, and the rich got richer by stealing from the poor and from the middle class. And they filled up their coffers, and they colluded with the Roman Empire to do it. Think about if you're a Jewish person in the first century Palestine, how that is for you. Already you don't trust the emperor, right? Because these Roman occupying forces have come in and you are now subject to them, even though they're not from here, but now you're subject to obey them. You have to obey the emperor because he's the one with all the military power. And now here come the tax collectors colluding with the emperor to rob you and to rip you off, and no wonder that all of the neighbors felt betrayed because the tax collectors had chosen Caesar rather than God. You see this, friends? You see why this matters so much and this story has so much power? This is a highly religious culture. In our day and age, in the United States in 2022, we think of religion as kind of like this sphere of influence over here, and then you know, the rest of life is somewhere over here. You know, they're sacred and they're secular. But for first century Palestinians, friends, that's not the way it was. There was no such thing as sacred and secular. It was all together. It was all one. And the law, there was just one law. It wasn't civil law and religious law. There was just one law. And it wasn't civil leaders and religious leaders. No, there was just one leader. Everything was religious. Everything was religious, which meant the tax collectors who violated the trust of the people, who colluded with the emperor, who violated the law of God in order to rob their neighbors, they were the worst kind of sinners and the worst kind of citizens that you can imagine. You got your head around that now? Are we we together? Okay, Levi, terrible person. Right? If you're Levi's neighbor, if you're Levi, Levi's uh, uh, friend, you're thinking, man, this guy is terrible, terrible, awful, the worst. Now, along comes Jesus. And Jesus goes up to Levi and says, hey, my friend, I want you to be in the inner circle. I want you to be in the inner circle. Now, if you're Levi's neighbor and you have seen his whole life what he does to people, how does that sit with you? Imagine Jesus showing up today in your life, and Jesus walks right past you, and he goes to the worst person that you know. Think about that. Get that person's face in your mind for a second. Uh, You can do it. I know you can do it. (laughs) And Jesus goes to that person and says, I want you to be in the inner circle. Now, how do you feel about that? Are you sure, Jesus? (laughs) What about me? Not, Not that guy. He's terrible. He's terrible. This is how Jesus operates. He invites Levi. Repent, Levi, and come to the table. Repent, Levi, come to the table. See, Levi was financially wealthy, right? He had everything. He he had taken everything from his neighbors. He owned it. He was financially wealthy, but spiritually he was poor. How many friends do you suppose he had? Not many. He was not acceptable in his community. He had betrayed his own people. Levi was living in spiritual poverty. 
And so the day that Jesus invites Levi to be in the inner circle is a great day. It's worthy of celebration. Let's, let's have a big party. Let's invite all of Levi's tax collector buddies, and let's have all sorts of delicious food and bread and the best wine and the guest of honor, Jesus himself. And instead of scolding them and condemning them, Jesus raises a glass and he says a toast to the kingdom of God and to all the unlikely people who are invited to the table. Now, meanwhile, the Pharisees are watching all this unfold, right? And they're thinking, what in the world is this guy Jesus doing? He's starting to get a picture of how they would have felt about Jesus. No wonder they wanted to kill him, right? They wanted to kill Jesus. They were incensed. They were beside themselves with rage. They were morally outraged and spiritually offended. As far as they were concerned, this party that Jesus is blessing in the name of God is blasphemy of the highest order. Now, friends, what I need you to see this passage, this story from Luke is not a sweet and simple tale of God's love. This is a scandalous, world-shaking story about the radical inclusion of God's grace. Because by God's grace, even the worst people like Levi are invited in. They are invited in. There is a grace from God that is free to you, but that costs Jesus everything. The story of Levi is about a Savior who is so powerful he can destroy your sin and your preconceived ideas about God and in exchange give you a new way of seeing the world. The story of Levi is the story that reminds us that the kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is not a set of rules. The kingdom of God is a party and there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who needed no repentance. So you better believe there was rejoicing in heaven on that day over Levi and his friends who came to Jesus. So we can see what this story means to Levi, right? This is Levi's best day ever. But I wonder what this story means to you. I wonder how you hear it and how it sits with you. And let me suggest to you that what it means to you depends on who you are, and it depends on where you sit. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. So which are you, friends? Are you the healthy? Are you the sick? You see, if you are a religious person, if you are given to legalism and laws, and if you tend to think of yourself as better than other people, if you tend to think of yourself as more righteous than other people, if you tend to think that the reason God loves you is because of all the good things that you can do for him, then you're going to have a hard time with this story. Because even though you have an illness called sin, you don't realize that you are sick. The hard news of this story, friends, is that all of our good work and all of our pursuing righteousness and all of our spiritual efforts mean nothing when it comes to our salvation. You do not earn your way into God's heaven. Now, we respond with good works, but don't think for a minute that God is impressed with us, friends. God does not need our good works. Life in the kingdom of God is a gift, and the best that we can do is receive it. 
The best that we can do is receive it. It has nothing to do with your talent or your ability or your intelligence or your good looks. It is only by the grace of God. And so this story is meant to uphold grace, friends. This is a story that preserves the theology of grace in God's community, in God's kingdom. And as insulted as we are that our efforts mean nothing, I think at the end of the day, there's part of us that's a little bit relieved. Like, oh, thank God. I don't have to keep striving after it. I don't have to keep trying to please God and please people and work hard to be acceptable. You're telling me God accepts me the way I am? So for religious religious people, friends, this is a hard story. But for others of us, for those of us who know we are sick, For those of us who are deeply aware of our sin and our brokenness, for those of us who think about our sin and we feel shame and we feel embarrassment, for those of us who feel beaten down by the world, for those of us who feel broken and so very alone, this is the greatest story you ever heard. Because you begin to realize God loves you just the way you are. God loves you. You mean Jesus loves all the people the rest of the world hates? Yes. You mean Jesus loves the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the warmongers and even Sally from accounting? I mean, Sally from accounting is the worst. And Jesus loves her. Yes, even her, friends. Even you, even me. You see, friends, when you are so very low and in that dark and forgotten place, and you hear the good news of a Savior who comes into the world to rescue you, there is a rejoicing. There is a hallelujah from your lips. There is a burden lifted from your shoulders when you realize the opinions of man mean nothing. God's view is the only one that matters. And God loves you and God claims you as his own child. The Pharisees thought that the way to be holy is to separate themselves from sinners. But along comes Jesus and says, no, no. Uh, The way to be holy, Jesus says, is come close to me. Friends, holiness is achieved not by separating yourself from certain people, but by coming close to Christ. Coming close to Christ. And this is not just the call for Levi. This is the call for every person listening to the sound of my voice. Repent and come to the table. Repent and come to the table. Jesus is inviting you into the most amazing experience of your life, into a relationship with the God who made you, and into the promise of eternal life. And the way that you access this promise, the key that unlocks the door, friends, is repentance. This is a story about the necessity of repentance, and I want you to understand what repentance is. Repentance literally means to turn around to turn away from your sin and to turn toward the cross of Jesus Christ. To repent is to confess your sin, to say it out loud to your brothers and sisters, to say it out loud to the God who hears you, and to beg God to forgive you, and to beg God to make real the new life that Jesus Christ offers by his cross and resurrection. Repent. Repent and come to the table, friends. In your imagination, I want you to see Jesus hanging on the cross. And he looks at you with love. And he died for you so that you may live. What more can God do to prove his love for you? Repent and come to the table.
Repent of all your pride and your worry about what people think of you. Repent of your disconnection from God and your breaking of God's law. Repent of your unwillingness to trust God's way rather than your own. Repent of your unforgiveness. Repent of your failure to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit those who are in prison. Repent and come to the table. Because when you do, friends, you will discover something extraordinary that not only does God love you, but God has always loved you. And the reason God loves you is not because of what you can do for him. The reason God loves you is because it is his character to do so. Because he made you, he gave you life, and he claims you as his own son or daughter. No wonder Levi had a party, right? (laughs) If you were Levi and your life was in that place and the Lord of the universe called you, wouldn't you have a party? Please, you would celebrate. You would buy the best wine and the best food and you'd have all your friends over and you would celebrate through the whole night. You would celebrate. Because finally, for the first time in Levi's life, someone showed him his true worth. Someone showed him his true identity. Jesus saw through all the sin and the brokenness and everything else had said about who he was and he saw to the real person that God had made in the image in which he was created. And now Jesus has given Levi a new identity, and he's given Levi a new role. Now he is a child of God. Now he is a disciple of Jesus. By the way, you might recognize Levi by his Christian name. Levi's Christian name is Matthew. You heard of Matthew? One of the 12 disciples and the author of the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. His life was transformed, friends, from hated tax collector to beloved disciple from thief to evangelist, his life was transformed. Why? Because Jesus invited him to the table. Because Jesus invited him to repent and come to the table. And so the invitation is now to you, friends, to repent and come to the table. And you can do one of two things. You can stand back like the Pharisees, you know, with your arms crossed, and judge everyone else as they come. And you can think about all the sins that you know that they've committed and all the horrible things that they've done and the ways they've hurt you and hurt other people. And you can bask in your own self-righteousness and you can decline the invitation and just stand back and watch. Or, or option number two, you can confess your sin and acknowledge your brokenness before a holy God and before his church and acknowledge and confess that you are a sinner and that you need the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can offer. And you can come to the table. You can come to the table. It's wild, isn't it? Jesus, with a bunch of sinners, eating and drinking and toasting to the kingdom of God. You know what we call that, friends? Jesus and a bunch of sinners eating and drinking and toasting the kingdom of God? It's the church. <laughs> 